what does Jesus think of my church? What would he say about us? That we can be a church that receives no words of correction, but words of commendation only. Welcome to In Grace with Jim Scudder, Jr. He is the senior pastor of Quentin Road Baptist Church in Lake Zurich, Illinois, and the president of Dayspring Bible College in Mundelein, Illinois. Today on In Grace, we are going to talk about the end times in our series, Armageddon's Dawn. Yeah, I do believe that the end times are right around the corner. I believe we're seeing the signs of the times, although I don't believe anyone can know the day or the hour of Jesus' return, but we will definitely know the season, won't we? And so it is very exciting to me to know that as there's wars and rumors of wars and pestilences and earthquakes and all of these things, it just seems like things are ramping up for exactly what the Bible describes as the end times. We find a lot of this in the book of Revelation. So that's what the series is. It's a verse verse study of the book of Revelation, but we go from the book of Revelation to Daniel and Ezekiel and go to Matthew and all these other places that there are so many precise Bible prophecies of things that haven't come to pass yet. And so that's what this series is all about. I hope you're enjoying it. Today, we're going to continue to talk about what Jesus thinks of churches. And he's going to talk to the church of Sardis today. And then tomorrow, we're going to talk more about what he thinks about the church of Philadelphia and then Laodicea. And so uh, these are important things in Revelation chapter three. Also, don't forget that we have a free prophecy chart that will help you follow along with our study of Revelation. You can get that when you go to our website, and that is ingraceradio.com, ingraceradio.com, or call us at 1-800-78-GRACE. We also have a television program here at Ingrace. We'd love for you to watch tonight on TBN. That's the largest Christian network in the world, TBN, the Trinity Broadcasting Network. And if you don't get that, uh, you can also find us on YouTube and Roku. You can find our channel by just searching on YouTube or Roku. Search for Ingrace. When you find us, go ahead and subscribe, get alerts, and like the videos. And that way, more people will hear the gospel of grace. And I hope that you enjoy today's message from the series, Armageddon's Dawn. People will say, well, that's just hype, you Christians, sensationalizing things. And uh, that's that's really not going to come to pass. Let me tell you something. I don't believe in sensationalizing or hyping. I really don't. There's a reason for that. The reason we shouldn't over-sensationalize or hype these types of things is because it turns people off when the date that they set, whether overtly or just kind of subtly, doesn't come to pass. I was with someone this week that said he grew up believing the way we do on end times events, which means that Jesus is going to come back to take the church, and we are raptured, and then a seven-year tribulation takes place, and then Jesus comes again and establishes his millennial kingdom, Satan bound a thousand years. So he said, you know, that's how I grew up, and that's what I used to believe. But then he said, people like Hal Lindsey and others, they were always talking about this incredible thing that Israel was reborn in 1948, and Jesus said that this generation will not pass away until all these things are fulfilled. So that was a misunderstanding of what Jesus was saying, and we don't have time to get into that. But because people were on TV saying, and, and rightly so, that Israel is a miracle, 
There's no other explanation than if you look at the modern nation of Israel, they're there in unbelief, but God has brought them back just as predicted for such a time as this. But then to say that this generation will not pass away, now you have a date. And once he said the mid-80s passed, he started to think, well, obviously the pre-tribulational, pre-millennial view is wrong, obviously. And he rejected that and he became an amillennialist, which basically says that we're in the kingdom age now. The problem with that view, by the way, is you have to say Satan is bound right now. I don't know if you've watched the news, but it doesn't seem like he's bound right now. They also have to symbolize or make the thousand years symbolic. You know, a thousand years seems to be a thousand years pretty cut and dry. He said, you know, God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That doesn't mean exactly a thousand hills, but of course, certain places you would expect the author that that language is figurative, but certain places the language is literal and you have to take it literally when you can in the Bible. That's the proper hermeneutic. So he's rejected all of that, but we have to spiritualize a lot of things. Jesus ruling from the literal throne of David, that has to be spiritualized. All of these things are in the scriptures, but because of people hyping or sensationalizing or misinterpreting certain things, it's turned certain people off. But just because they're turned off doesn't mean that these things aren't going to happen. So what we're doing today is we're going to study again the book of Revelation, and from there we'll be going to a few other places. But we're talking about just before the rapture. But what we're going to look at today is this area called the rapture of the church, just before the rapture of the church in the church age. After the church age is over, we find the rapture, which is just before the seven-year tribulation period. Remember, we've been studying in Revelation 1, 2, and 3, the church, especially in chapters 2 and 3, the churches of Revelation. You have these seven churches, and these seven churches are prominent in these two chapters. We'll be in chapter 3 today, talking about the last three of these seven churches. But then in chapter 4, the church is not mentioned anymore. We call that the rapture. It's not mentioned until chapter 20. That's the tribulation from 4 to 20. And there's plenty of other places, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, the two primary uh, chapters in the Bible that have a lot to say about the, the rapture or the, the catching away of the body of Christ where we will be in heaven during the tribulation, judgment seat of Christ taking place, the marriage supper of the Lamb taking place. We come back with Jesus to rule and reign with him at the Battle of Armageddon. When he comes the second time, that's the second coming, and that will be for eternity. So that's what we're talking about today, is the very end of the church age, just before the rapture. And you say, well, then when is the rapture? I can't tell you that. Whenever we start to set dates, that's when we get into trouble. Okay, so... And by the way, my friend that's amillennialist, him and I were joking around. I think there's some room for fellowship with people that aren't exactly our camp on views, obviously. This isn't one of those major things. But it just seems so clear to me. And we were joking, you know, I said, well, you know, since uh, during the rapture we'll be like Christ and we won't have our old nature, I won't be able to come to you and say, I told you so. And he says, you know, I bet you'll still find a way to sneak it in. <laughs> so let's look at these seven churches Remember, we started last week talking about Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamos, and Thyatira. 
in chapter two. Those were the first four churches. Remember, this was from the Isle of Patmos, a little Greek isle right off of the coast of Turkey. This was what they called Asia Minor. These were all real churches, Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum or Pergamos, and Thyatira. You see how these churches all have kind of an arc to them. So the first way to understand these seven churches, there's threefold application. The first is a contemporary understanding. These were direct messages as Jesus gave them to John, and as he wrote to Ephesus and Smyrna and Pergamos and Thyatira, these were words of Christ to those literal churches, and John knew all of these churches very well. So that's the first way to understand it, and that's a true interpretation of Scripture. But I also believe there's two other ways that we can take a look at the application of these seven churches. The second one is a composite interpretation. In other words, what Jesus said to Ephesus and Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, he's saying to all churches of all ages. In other words, what we need to do today, and this is hopefully what we're here to do, is say, what does Jesus think of my church, of this church, of this local called-out assembly? What would he say about us? I believe we can find that out as we look at these seven churches, and we are introspective. That we say, Lord, show us if we are erroring in any of these ways, or if we're doing it right in any of these ways, show us that we can be a church that receives no words of correction, but words of commendation only. We're going to find one of those churches today, as we found one of those churches last week, but all the rest of the churches, God had a lot of bad things to say about them. They were still churches. They still were there representing Christ, but some of them had really failed the Lord. Ephesus, remember, was the church that had left their first love. They were doing so many good things, but they were a little bit careless, weren't they? And then the next church was Smyrna. Now, we don't find any words of correction for Smyrna. Smyrna was a crowned church. Remember, they were suffering. They had lost everything. They were beyond poor but they still were faithful. Then we have the compromising church, Pergamos. They were the church that, uh, you know, just let a little bit of error in there. They had a lot of good things going, but then they had messed up on doctrinal error. Thyatira was a corrupted church. And then we come today to Sardis. The third way to understand these churches is a chronological understanding. And again, I'm not going to say for sure 100% this is true, but I'm going to say this seems true to me. And I think that's a proper way to look at this third way to look at the seven churches. In other words, it's each church that we read about represents an age in church history. And again, I, the Bible isn't very clear on this, but as we look at church history, it seems to line up in the same order that we're seeing these seven churches. You know, the first uh, era was the apostolic age and the second and third and all the way through to Protestantism we're gonna talk about today and then kind of the revival age and then today, which is very apathetic. If we're living in the age of Laodicea, 
we are in big, big trouble in Christianity. If you want to learn more about the Bible's end time prophecies, In Grace and Pastor Jim Scudder have great resources that will help you. First, we have a large prophecy chart that we will send you absolutely free. And when you give a gift of any amount, you'll also receive our eight-part video series, Armageddon's Dawn, filmed in Israel. This series will give you a visual experience that will transport you to the very places mentioned in Revelation. We also would like to send you Pastor Jim's entire 43-sermon audio series, Armageddon's Dawn, on CD or MP3 for gifts of $30. Don't miss out on this opportunity to enrich your understanding of biblical prophecy. Contact In Grace today at 800-78-GRACE. That's 800-78-GRACE. Visit our website at ingraceradio.com or write to In Grace at P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Get your free prophecy chart and unlock the secrets of the end times today. Sardis, at the time of this letter, wasn't what it used to be. It had fallen, and it wasn't the city that it used to be, just like the church. It was there, basically, in name only. Now, let's talk about the Protestant age. The Protestant age is known for five solas, five It's kind of a theme of the Protestant Reformation. And by the way, we would say amen to all of these. We really would. But the question is, the Protestant churches of today, do they really hold to any of these? And I would say, primarily, no. The first one, sola scriptura. You know, the scriptures alone, this is all we need to worry about. This is everything. And we would say amen to that. Sola fide, or or by faith alone. Man, I mean, that's the only way to be saved. That's the only way to please God. So we would say amen to that. Sola fide. You have sola gratia. That's by grace alone. And man, we believe in grace. And that is such an important doctrine in the scripture that we don't deserve what God has bestowed for us. Sola Christus, Christ alone. Man, that's such a wonderful theme, a wonderful sola, a wonderful cry. Deo Gloria, to the glory of God alone. My friends, these are great. These are wonderful hallmarks of an age, but it is an age that, well, let's read it. These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, What are the seven spirits of God? I thought there was one Holy Spirit, and there is one Holy Spirit. But we find places in Scripture, and we'll cover this down the road, that he has manifested in seven ways. All right? And then the seven stars. What are the seven stars? We've already determined that we believe those are the seven pastors of these seven churches. I know thy works, and that thou hast a name. Blessed be the name of the Lord. They had the name of Christ, Christ alone, that thou livest and art dead. In other words, you have a name, and the name implies that you're alive, but you're not. This was Sardis, a city that was alive in name only, and this represents a church that was alive in name only. In other words, the church in Sardis wasn't witnessing in that city. They weren't a light 
to the world. We don't read anything about persecution here. Because if there's no movement, there's no friction. In other words, if you're not out proclaiming Jesus is the only way to the lost and dying world, to the lost and dying city, there isn't going to be any persecution. No one even knows that you belong to Christ. You have a name, but you're dead. I believe this is Sardis, a cold church. Protestantism today as a whole has a name that lives, but it's dead. And by the way, when I say things like Protestantism, broad terms, I'm talking in broad terms, but I I really believe deep down, if you look at the Protestant denominations today, you're not going to find much of Scripture. You're not going to find much of Christ. You're not going to find much about faith and grace. As a matter of fact, what they were trying to reform, which was the Roman Catholic Church, there's really not much difference today. As a matter of fact, Protestantism and Catholicism have come together in many ways and many agreements. That should tell you something, right? Roman Catholicism was very overt that you had to have works to be saved. Protestantism said, no, uh, you, you, it's by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But if you see what they believe today, they don't believe that anymore. They believe it's the sacraments. They believe it's the works that will save them. It's really the same doctrine that they were protesting. And as you look around Protestantism today, that's what you're going to find. Someone once said that spiritual ministries have four phases, four stages. The first one is the man. The second one is the movement. The third one is the machine. And the fourth one is the monument. In other words, you have a man that God has called and he's faithful and you see great things and then you have a movement coming from that man's life and and his faith in the Lord. But then it becomes mechanical. Then it becomes kind of, well, this is just how we've always done it, but we don't have that same fervor anymore. And then you have the monument. It's basically the death of that organization. And you can look at them. There's colleges you can look at them, there's youth, youth ministries. You can look at them, there's mission agencies. You can look at them, there's churches, and they all fit that profile, don't they? We need to avoid being like Sardis. You don't have any words of commendation to Sardis. We need to not be like them. As a matter of fact, we need to know how to avoid that. And here's how you do it. Look at verse 2 of Revelation 3. Be watchful. Be watchful. Isn't it interesting that twice Sardis fell because the sentries that were guarding the city neglected their duty? If you have someone that has the night watch and they're supposed to stand guard and they're sleeping, you're leaving that city open to the enemy, aren't you? That's exactly what was happening in the church at Sardis. And Jesus says, Jesus says, be watchful. In other words, wake up! Romans 13, 11, and that knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. And I love that verse because when you believed, you were saved. And and today... 
however many years since you believed, some of you it's been a year, some of you it's been 40, 50 years, your salvation is nearer today than when you believed. In other words, Jesus, if he doesn't come back for the church in our lifetime, we're still nearer being with the Lord because of our lifespan. It's time to wake up. It's time to awake out of our slumber. Churches in America, churches around the world, we need to wake up. Go back to Revelation 3, 2. Be watchful and strengthen the things that which remain. Jesus was saying, there's still hope for you guys that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Oh, I hope that God, that Jesus looks at this church and doesn't see that. There's still hope, but man, you don't really have anything going on. You are as cold as ice. Revelation 3, verse 3. Remember. We find this word often in these words of Christ to the churches. Remember. Why? Because we are really, really good at forgetting. Remember. Remember, that's how you warm up. Remember, think back to what God has done, not just in your life, but in the life of so many Christians throughout the ages. Remember how great God is and how faithful he is, and let's stay excited about his things. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come as a thief. And thou shalt not know what hour I will come unto thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments. And they shall walk with me in white. Now, isn't that interesting? For they are worthy. Think about that. You say, when will we be white? When will we have garments of white? When will we be wearing these garments? The Bible says that the armies of Christ, I believe that is to be the church, will come back with him after the tribulation. When he returns, his armies will be wearing garments of white. We won't have to fight. We'll be behind him, him on a white horse. And that is when we will wear those garments. We'll talk more about that and the words of the Lord Jesus to a couple more churches, Philadelphia and Laodicea, tomorrow on our Thursday edition of In Grace. Now, let me say this. I uh, usually, when I wear white, I get it dirty. I spill on it. Coffee is very attracted to my clothing. And so uh, I, I'm excited, though, to wear white one day and it won't stain, it won't get dirty. So that'll be fun. And then, of course, the whole idea of being with Christ, coming back, not having to fight, but being part of the army where he fights for us. And that's really how it is today. He fights our battles for us. And I hope that we are a church, even, even if there's a lot of persecution, a lot of bad things are happening, we can still please the Lord and not quit and let him work in his marvelous way 
through us in our lives. Right before we go, let me remind you that we have a free prophecy chart that I'd like to send to you. You can go to the website, ingraceradio.com, ingraceradio.com, or call us at 1-800-78-GRACE. And you can print that out right at home, or we can mail you a color copy of our Armageddon's Dawn prophecy chart. Now, we also have an eight-part video series. We filmed this in Israel with the Temple Mount behind me, where we filmed at Megiddo, where the Battle of Armageddon is going to take place. I'm teaching Revelation. We have a lot of visuals and prophecy charts in this video series as well. And I have some other prophecy teachers that I interviewed, Menno Kalisher, a pastor in Jerusalem, a man named Mark Robinson, an excellent Bible teacher on the end times, Joel Rosenberg, the great author, and also Randall Price, the adventurer, archaeologist, and Bible prophecy teacher all around here. So this is for your gift of any amount to In Grace. I'll send you the eight-part video series, Armageddon's Dawn. You can also find the 43-part audio series on our website. Contact us today. Are you ready for an end times journey of biblical proportions? Get the stunning Armageddon's Dawn prophecy chart for free. Or give any amount and receive the incredible Armageddon's Dawn eight-part video series. Plus, you can order the 43-part audio preaching series. Contact InGrace today at 800-78-GRACE, ingraceradio.com, or write to InGrace at P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Thank you for joining us on InGrace Radio with Jim Scudder, Jr. InGrace is a member of the Evangelical Council for Financial Accountability. Our goal is to share the light of Jesus to a darkening world, helping you find hope, gain purpose, and be a light. You can be that light today by joining our mission to spread the gospel around the world. Just call us, 800-78-GRACE, or go online, ingraceradio.com. You can also write to us at InGrace, P.O. Box 9, Lake Zurich, Illinois, 60047. Tune in tomorrow as we continue to explore God's Word and His world on InGrace Radio. Grace Radio.